0: Hmm. recorded live and you got the blue raven back with and I got a very special guest waiting on the phone line with me right now Mr. Ralph Epperson and his website is found at www.ralph-epperson.com www.ralph Hyphen Ralph-Epperson.com, author, writer, national speaker, teacher, Mr. Ralph Epperson, author. Some of his books he has written, The Unseen Hand, The New World Order, another book he has written, Masonry, Conspiracy Against Christianity, 401-page book, America's Secret Destiny, a four-hour DVD. Only the U.S. has nukes, four-hour DVD. And you you can contact Mr. Ralph Epperson at www.ralph-epperson.com if you'd like to purchase any of his DVDs or books. Mr. Ralph Epperson has been on several times with Bill Cooper on live radio, national radio he's been on. Mr. Ralph Epperson was recently on with Clyde Davis, host of Ground Zero Radio back in June. And without further delay, Mr. Ralph Epperson's waiting on the phone line, and I'd like to thank Mr. Epperson, I want to thank you again for going live with me now the second time. And go ahead, take it away at your microphone.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Uh, By the way, his name was Clyde Lewis, I believe, uh, that runs the Ground Zero program. And I was on for two hours with him. And I thought I uh, impressed him because he ended up by saying something about, well, next time we talk about conspiracy, we'll call you. I said, well, please do. I'll be happy to discuss it. So we'll see. I don't know. Sometimes these people uh, you know, are limited somewhat in what they can talk about, and that might be one of the fields he doesn't want to get into. But anyway, I'll wait and see. If he calls, I'll be happy to do his program again. Today we're going to talk about Government 101. We're going to explain where, <laughs> where do, why do we create government? Is it necessary to create government? Uh, what is its purpose? When do we do it? What type of government do we create? Now, this is a four hour DVD that I'm working on right now, so we're only going to get the first part of it. It's going to be probably a lot longer, plus, I'm I'm going to uh, miss quite a a bit of the material uh, that's already uh, uh, prepared. I'm reading off of my screen on my computer from my WordPerfect word processor, so I'll be flipping through, uh, scrolling down, and missing parts that I I don't want to spend time on right now because there's uh, to, to cover in a couple hours. I need to exclude certain things, so I'm going to do that. So what is it? What's government for? And uh, I remember hearing something like this. uh, It is to do what the majority of the people in the nation want. Of course, that's it. That's a democracy. And I I remember once thinking, what what if the majority of the people were cannibals? Uh, (laughs) Is that what they want? If they want to uh, make cannibalism legal? So the only question that remains, if that's the case of government, that is, on what day would I become which meal? It's because they're, <laughs> they're going to eat me. So that's the problem. Now, uh, we're going to examine all sorts of other explanations about government and uh, uh, but show you that there's some real problems in creating a government, but that there, we need to do so, and I'll explain that as well. Now, before I continue, I would like to urge you all to listen uh, as a member of a jury. I'm going to empanel you. Into the jury members and jury members are uh, caught by or admonished by the uh, judge before you start that you are going to have to disregard everything that you hold in the past to analyze the evidence notice evidence i'm going to try to present evidence that and then once you hear the evidence then you're free to reach the verdict but don't reach it midway because you don't know what he's going to say in the last part of it so please Sit down and listen. Uh, I believe that uh, Blue Raven will put this on the archives if you want to get the whole program later. Or wait a little while when I get my DVD finished, and I'll examine it in far more detail and uh, with more documentation. So you're on a jury, and as a jury member, you're obligated to, to listen, hopefully, and be open. And let's talk now about what is the function of government. When I started my research, I really didn't know, never thought about it. But I started working on this, and I read a couple of books, and I started thinking about government, what's it for? And I learned somewhere that someone said that God created man with rights. And I said, well, that makes sense. I like that idea. I then said that all men are given these rights upon birth. Well, that's another new thought. And, in fact, they're given these rights upon conception. And we'll talk about uh, abortion a little later to confirm what I just said. All of these rights that we have are given upon not the birth, but the conception of the unborn child. And that secondly, all, everyone in the world has these rights, even atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Hindus, Hindus. They're all given this right, even though they do not believe in a God, as I just stated. They have their own God. But I'm telling you, here in America, we protect all men's beliefs in that they do have rights. So then I start thinking about, well, what are the source of human rights? There are only two, presuming that it is admitted that we do have rights. And those two are, number one, either man himself, we have have these rights and we're going to protect them, or someone external to us gave us our rights, meaning a force or a power bigger than man, and I call that source God. Thomas Jefferson wrote back in about, I don't know, 1780 or something, a statement that I think is very applicable. The God who gave us life gave us liberty. Now, please remember the word liberty. We're going to Define it a little differently than Thomas Jefferson. Because I'm going to say the God who gave us life gave us freedom, but let's just hold with the idea we got liberties as well. And we'll show you a little later on there's a difference between liberty and freedom. But let's go with liberties, liberty and liberties. He went on, Jefferson, can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Now, in other words, once we start realizing we've got rights, we better be careful because there'll be people that say, oh, those rights come from, my, from man, and we're going to discuss what happens when we say oh, our rights come from man, because man who, quote, gives us our rights, end quote, can certainly take them away. The corresponding alternative explanation argues, as I just said, that our rights come from government or, if you will, man. Men create government to give us our rights and guarantee them. This contention holds that man creates government to give man his rights. Please, this is a very important distinction. William Penn, who wrote around the 1700s, was the founder of the state of Pennsylvania, wrote this. And boy, I think this is, a, in one sentence, this could be, could, should be memorized by every American. Quote, if man will not be governed by God, they then must be governed by tyrants, meaning by man. If men will not be governed by God, they then must be governed by tyrants, meaning by other men. Now I want you to know something that I had never learned or even heard until a few, uh, probably a year ago. Each of the 50 state constitutions all of them, every one of them, acknowledge their belief in a creator God. And I'm going to start out just to say that, show you that I'm not picking uh, ones, ones that say it at random. I'm going to start with the first three states in a listing of the states to show you that this is these three as being representative of all the states, but not at random. These are Alabama, Alaska, and, of course, my home state of Arizona, Alabama. We the
0: people of the state of Alabama grateful to God and to those who founded
1: this nation. And third, in my state of Arizona, we, the people of Arizona, grateful to Almighty God for our liberties now. We're going to take some exception to that thought that we have liberties, as I said a little later. So many of America's leaders are out now asking that God be separated from the affairs of the government. If that separation is made, as Mr. Penn indicated, the people will be governed by tyrants and future tyrants will do all that they can to further separate a belief in God from the existence of government. And the reason is obvious. If the tyrant can separate man from his God as the source of his rights, he must look to the tyrant as his source. And that is why government in the United States is removing God from the classrooms of the public schools. William Penn said, if you're not governed by God, you'll be governed by man and man will become a tyrant. A good example of the philosophy of grant human rights to their citizens is found in a document called the International Covenants on Human Rights passed by the United Nations in nineteen sixty six. And by the way, it was passed unanimously, which means our representative in the United Nations in 1966 voted for this. Let's read what it says. The par- the states, meaning the various nations, parties to the present covenant, meaning the charter, recognize that in the enjoyment of those rights, enjoyment of those rights provided by the state in conformity with the present covenant, the state may subject such rights only to such limitations as are determined by law. This covenant was passed unanimously, including the representative from the United States. And we're going to show you uh, that this man violated his oath when he took an oath to support the Constitution. We'll show you that a little while later. In other words, that which the government grants can be controlled by the government governing body the granting body the government all the government has to do is pass a law and that right is reduced or eliminated that which the government gives is also that which the government can take away man's rights under this concept are not very secure governments can change and when they do New philosophies about human rights can be brought forth and put into effect. In this case, human rights are not absolute. they can change with new each I'm sorry, can change with each new administration. This fact was not did not escape America's founding fathers who wrote in the declaration. Now here we go. This is by the way, the most brilliant couple of sentences I've ever read in my entire life with a couple of exceptions. We'll discuss that at the end. They wrote this in 1776 as our Declaration of Independence. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Now we're going to read it as separate. We can do the whole thing together then come back and analyze it. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now let's spend a few minutes breaking down what the Declaration just said. What is a self-evident truth? It is so real it cannot be denied or argued against. These self-evident truths were true simply because they were true. Now what is an unalienable right? The word is defined as incapable being transferred or taken away no other individual no small group no large group no minority no majority no government no foreign nation can take away our unalienable rights they come with the product once you're born you're endowed by your creator and only the creator god can take them away in other words man cannot take away our unalienable rights. And we're going to show you how that's been violated to where we in America today don't live by right anymore. We live by privilege, and we'll describe that. The next thing was that all men are created equal. Now, I'll make the brazen statement that we're not all equal. What they meant was that we were all equal under the law. But let's go back. All men are not equal because some are old, some are young, some are fast, some are slow, some are healthy, some are sick. But in the courts of America, all men are considered to have the same rights, meaning that their rights are equal. And that, then the next step was that amongst these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, this is where I want to start pointing out I've got some real problems with this. But what I just said was really brilliant, I thought that men have unalienable rights, and now we're going to see that we create government to secure or protect those rights. Now, let's talk about this—well, I'm not ready for liberty. Let's talk about this thing called the pursuit of happiness. I've often wondered just what this phrase means. Surely it cannot mean that a cannibal who seeks food which gives him happiness has the right to pursue other humans this nebulous phrase the pursuit of happiness has to have a good definition because if it is intended to mean that man is free to do whatever gives that individual happiness man's rights are in danger so the phrase has to mean something like the pursuit of happiness as long as that pursuit respects the rights of others now I don't know if we'll get to it later on, but we're gonna. I'm going to cover it specifically in this thing to show you that the founding fathers knew what that phrase meant, and you and I don't or will not like what they meant by that phrase. But I'm saying it's got to be defined, and it's not by the Constitution or the Declaration. So this is why I prefer the wording in the Virginia Declaration of Rights, adopted unanimously, I and mean, unanimously by the Virginia Convention of Delegates on June the 12th, 1776, and written by George Mason. Listen to this brilliant uh, brilliant couple of sentences. That all men have certain inherent rights, meaning unalienable, namely the enjoyment of life and liberty, let's hold that for a while, with the means of acquiring and possessing property. That means that all of our rights revolve around... Now, this is my statement. That means that all of our rights revolve around the unalienable right to life. Now, there are some historians who explain that this phrase in the Declaration originally read life, liberty, and property. In other words, pursuit of happiness was substituted for the word property. But the Founding Fathers were concerned that this word property would grant official permission to the Southerners who believed they had the right to own slaves because the Southern states considered their slaves to be private property. In other words, if uh, if they, they bought these people, they owned them just like they did when they bought a horse, uh, they could do with that horse as they willed uh, uh, And the person, if the slave ran away and was captured, he would be brought back, and given back to the, uh, to the owner, meaning the master. So that's why they were afraid of putting it a guaranteed right in the Declaration, because once they did that, they felt that the southern states would say, okay, good. you've now given us an unalienable right to own slaves. So notice this one more thought, that the, these three rights are not man's only rights. The Declaration points out that among these rights are the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then the Founding Fathers further clarified this point with the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution. This is in the Bill of Rights, number nine. The enumeration of the, I'm sorry, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. So now we're going to see just what this means in total. Man was endowed by his creator with certain unalienable rights, and he's got the God-given right to protect them, and that right is called the right to self-defense. Therefore, the man who wishes to protect his rights from those who wish to limit them must protect himself and his human rights, and to do so, he would have the right to hire a bodyguard, calling him a bodyguard, meaning a rights protector. That bodyguard is called government, and each man has the right, the unalienable right, to protect his human rights. If one man has the right to protect himself, then another man has the same right since all men have the same rights individually and it follows then that those two men have the right to join together to hire one or more bodyguards to protect their rights individually and collectively if these two men have this right then three have this right or four or 60 million do as well. They all have the equal right to protect themselves from others who would violate their rights. Now, here's the problem. Granting power to government to protect human rights also grants power to those who can abuse it as a vehicle to destroy or limit the rights of the people who create the government. In other words, the bodyguard can easily become the tyrant. He, you gave him power, he's now got it, and he's going to exercise it and by taking over. So they realized that this tendency existed when they wrote the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. The purpose of these rights was to restrict the power of the bodyguard or the bodyguards or the government To violate the rights of the citizens of their nation the founding fathers wrote restrictions with phrases such as these in the ten Bill of Rights Congress shall pass no law the right of the people shall not be infringed no person shall be deprived the accused shall enjoy the right notice that these rights are not restrictions on human rights but are restrictions on the activities of governments. In other words, they're trying to tell the bodyguard, your your power is limited. If rights are granted by the creator of these rights, what are the rights granted by government? It becomes important now to distinguish between a right and a privilege by defining those two words. A right is a freedom to act morally without asking permission. You wanna go to church? You don't have to ask for permission. You wanna get married? You don't need permission. You wanna create a business? You don't need permission. You wanna grow your own corn? No permission is required. You wanna travel to another city or visit your grandmother? No permission is necessary. That's what a right means. And that's what it means when it's unalienable. No one can take it away. But there is a a, a contrary position and a contrary definition. And that word is a privilege. A privilege is a freedom to act morally but only after permission has been granted by some governmental entity. Your right to freedom under this word is not a right. It's only a privilege because you must ask for permission to exercise what you thought was once your unbelievable right you have the, you've all heard this you do not have the right to shout fire in a movie theater because unfortunately people will panic and that battle will cause death and injury so if you are guilty of that right you're right you have the right of free speech but there is a limit because you want to protect your neighbor and his rights In other words, people are going to die in the stampede to get out of the theater. So rights carry responsibilities, which means we are not free to harm others or their property. Freedom is not the right to do what we want, but the power to do what we ought. Let me read that again. Freedom is not the right to do what we want, but... Forgive me, I don't know how to do this. I'll try to silence the uh, mute. That's my phone calling in. I think if I pressed, yeah, I think I did it. Freedom is not the right to do what we want, but the power to do what we ought and is based upon the golden rule. Do, undo others. Okay, I hung up. Let's see if that'll work. I hope that he gets the impression. I, I can't talk to him now. And it's it's based upon the golden rule, as I said, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And by the way, I just found a little thing on the Internet that this is the basic premise of all of the major religions of the world. Every one of them has a basic premise like this. It's phrased a little bit differently, but it all means the same thing, which means universally man has the right to be free from restraints by others. So now we are supposed to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. If you do not want your property stolen, do not steal the property of others. If you want the right to life, do not take the right to life of someone else because he then can take your right, or if he survives. So freedom is a human right with responsibility. If no one is responsible, no one has rights. Perhaps a better way of saying this is in the jungle, might makes right. The medium sized animal eats the small animal, and in turn, the larger animal eats the medium sized animal. And notice this uh, from the Ten Commandments they're all restrictions on action. Thou shalt and thou shalt not, because they're trying to teach. A basic morality where you don't harm your neighbor or his property now let me present the other side I want to be, I want to believe in academic freedom so I'm not going to offer you that there is there are people who believe they have the right to act without restraints total restraints I'd like to quote this uh, as part of the information and it's rather scary but it is extremely important that we understand Because there are actually people on the earth who believe this. So let's just listen to the thoughts of Alistair Crowley. Now, that's the way I pronounce his name. He lived from 1875 to 1947, and he wrote a little book in 1904 called The Book of the Law. And I'll talk a little bit about who wrote it in a few minutes. We go to page 9 of this little book, and here's what it says. Listen to this. This book lays down a simple code of conduct. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. There is no law beyond do what thou wilt. All events are lawful. Then he went on to say, Also, take your fill and will of love as ye will, when, where, and with whom ye will. Be strong, O man. Lust. Enjoy all things of sense. It sounds to me like he just said, if you want a woman, you can take her, whether she agrees or not. That's called rape. But don't forget, if it gives you happiness, you have the right, no one has the right to tell you because there's no law that could p- protect you there is no such thing as law he just said that do what thou wilt will be the whole of the law he was teaching man that there were no restraints on actions now picture what a world would be like if man was given permission to do whatever he liked there would be no freedom because each man would be subject to the bully who said he believed he had the right to do whatever he wanted. And we're a quote from Ernest Hemingway, a very prolific writer in his day, and a well-known writer, uh, very prolific. And here's what he said. I know only what is moral is what gives man pleasure. Remember, the Declaration said happiness. And what is immoral is what gives pleasure man pain so it sounds to me like Hemingway was a believer in the writings of Aleister Crowley so now let me return to the first ten amendments to the Constitution because the founders wrote such words as Congress shall make no law wait 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 what a minute if the majority wants it then such things as the right of the people shall not be infringed No soldier shall. The right of the people shall not be violated. No person shall be deprived. The accused shall enjoy the right. The right shall be preserved. Notice that these are not restrictions on people. They are restrictions on government. Man is free to enjoy his unalienable rights without government restrictions. The only requirement is that he's supposed to do unto others as he would have them do unto him, which means if you don't want to get raped, don't rape your neighbor, because once you do, then he can rape you. Don't steal. Don't murder, because once you steal or murder, you're admitting that it is man's right to do so. Now, let's all talk about what these rights are, and I shall claim that they are... There are three basic rights. And I'm going to define them as they should have defined them in the Declaration of Independence. They said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm going to change those now to life, freedom, but not liberty, property, for not the pursuit of happiness. Now, let me start with the self evident truth. As I said, all men are given life by the creator God. And that teaches us that no man has the right to take our right to life. It follows then, as I said, that when we have the right to defend our right to life. It's called the right to self-defense. If we do not have this right, then the world will be ruled by the bullies like Aleister Crowley who come to take our life. That is the reason we create government, to protect our right to life. Now, there's another self-evident truth not mentioned in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, and that is this simple one. Think about this, America. All men, all women, all children, all blacks, all whites, all Hispanics, everyone, no matter where you live or where you're from, all men are born hungry. That's called a self-evident truth. How can you debate that? Oh no, I'm not hungry. In fact, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to go sit on <laughs> sit on the mountaintop and read poetry, and I'm not going to eat, and I'll survive. You watch. <laughs> He's going to starve to death. It's a truism. It's a self-evident truth. Now, that brings us to another self-evident truth. If man does not acquire food, he will starve to death. So each person brings us to the second basic right, the right to property that we all need to sustain our life. In other words, if we don't have the right to property, they won't murder us, but they'll murder us because we'll all starve to death. Now, there are people who do not agree that we have the right to property. I want to now get into Karl Marx, the father of the, Communist philosophy. He wrote this in the Communist Manifesto that you can read. Anyone can get a copy and read it. This is from page 35. Now, that, of course, is from my copy. It doesn't mean from yours. But anyway, look for this. You'll find this quote uh, very easily uh, in his book. The theory of the communists may be summed up in a single sentence. In other words, this is it, baby. This (laughs) this 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 is the whole philosophy of communism. Abolition of private property? Huh? No, no. We need property to survive. If you don't, if you take away my private property, you're in control because you can make sure that you give to property, property meaning the essentials to food, nourishment to people that you support your theory that support your theory, and to take it away from those who don't support your theory in other words he becomes the creator he gives you life by giving you private property if he doesn't want you to have that right you're not going to get the property because there is no such thing in other words he will give food that is produced by everybody to certain people and not others he wants to abolish private property notice that he does not want to abolish all property just the right of people to acquire and retain property because communists want to run the factories, the railroads, and the businesses, etc. They just don't want people to have private property. Notice this, as I said, if I take away your right to private property, I take away your right to life because I will decide whether or not you live or you die. When I was, oh, I'll cover this this next one. This is a little bit better example. Now, the third basic right is the right to the freedom to acquire property. I used to use this in my class when I was teaching at a community college. Of course, there's a door, and I had the power to lock it. So I said to my students, I said, listen, I'm not going to take your life. I'm not going to murder you. What I'm going to do is leave the building, the room, and then lock it from the outside, and you cannot unlock it. Now, if I lock you into this room, I will take away your right to be free to acquire the property that you need to keep living. In other words, you'll starve to death. But I won't kill you because that's uh, a self-evident truth. You will starve to death unless you get property. That made my point. I think it's very clear because you'll notice that the communists who want to abolish private property starved millions and millions and millions of innocent people because they didn't want to live in a communist nation. That's all covered in my book, The Unseen Hand, written in 1985. So all of these rights boil down to only one right. All men have, and that is the right to life. The right implies the rights to property and the freedom to acquire property. Now, I'm going to skip past a little bit. As I say, I'm reading from my um, uh, slides. I'm on my uh, word processor, and I'm skipping through parts that I don't have time to cover, but they'll amplify this when I get to the DVD. And I've, what I've done is underline uh, these things in yellow. So I'm looking for the next line of yellow, and I'm going through about 50 pages or so, so, please bear with me. I didn't, here we go. It is time. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, oh, what, I was gonna, what, are, what these little examples show that if you. Uh, if, well, I'll, I'll make it briefly since I did, I did cover this uh, with examples, I'll cover it by words. Uh, when the Pilgrims and the Puritans came to America, they tried voluntary communism in the colonies known as Jamestown and Plymouth. So, let's cover that. What did they do? Uh, each colony built a storehouse in the center of the of the uh, of the land, and the uh, uh, everybody could work on the farm, and then uh, whatever they produced would be taken into the farm and stored into the storehouse and stored, and so that everybody could come in and take what they needed and go back out and uh, prepare it and prepare a meal from it, but then. Some people say, well, gee, I don't need to work today because Charlie and Billy are out there working, and they'll take care of the growing of the wheat and everything else. So I'll sit on the hill and read poetry. And others will say, well, I don't really don't feel up to it today. I'll stay home. Others are out there. They'll do the job. Some of the people chose not to work because they knew that others had work. Now, do you believe that governors could have used force? to get the people to produce, slavery does not produce. It'll produce, but never, as I'm going to prove to you, not like free people can produce. So this thing led to starvation, and people in the, the colonies of Jamestown and Plymouth Rock, Plymouth, whatever was called, were starving. Finally, the two governors of the two colonies, William Bradford of Plymouth, and Captain John Smith of Jamestown got together and said, "We got to change things." And he took the land and divided it into plots, giving each family a piece of land depending upon the size of the family. In other words, a family with two children would maybe get twice the a piece of land that a couple would get. And they noticed something very interesting started to develop. Governor Bradford wrote this. When the system of private ownership of the land was established, the whole family came out to produce, and production increased. Captain John Smith of Jamestown wrote, we reaped not so much corn from the labor of 30 as now three or four will provide for themselves. In other words, production went up by a factor of eight. And notice this, by the way, this was done by Christians who basically believed in sharing with their neighbors, but unfortunately some of these Christians got lazy and others starved. But after the prosperity was achieved, the colonists invited the neighboring Indians to share their bounty with them, and that was called the first thanksgiving. Now, how many of you have heard that story or read it in one of your history books or even when you were in high school or college? And I would say you don't learn that stuff. But voluntary, even voluntary communism has never worked anywhere in the world. And one of the more recent um, evidences of that, I've been asking this question on Facebook, for those of you who know who Ralph Epperson is, I've been asking the question, why do the socialist nations, especially up in the, up in the uh, northwest where like uh, Denmark and Sweden and the, or those other nations, how come they never give to uh, people like in, uh, in uh, Haiti when there's an earthquake or a, a flood or tornado or hurricane? It's always America. Why do we do it? Because we have a surplus. We have a surplus over what we need to produce for ourselves. And the socialist countries, the people don't have a surplus. Nearly every penny they they get is taken up and spent by the government. So there's no surplus. They don't have any money laying around. They say, okay, we can donate to Haiti to rebuild the the country. But we in America do because we produce more than we consume. And that's what I showed in those little examples. Uh, that the uh, uh, that, uh, that voluntary communism has never worked, and especially compulsory communism has never worked. And boy, I document that very amply in my book entitled *The Unseen Hand*, written in 1985. Now, here's another self-evident truth: majorities do not determine right and wrong. Right is right though everyone votes against it, and wrong is wrong, though all but God favors it. Stealing is wrong. Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 15 says, Thou shalt not steal. And we're taught by Jesus in Matthew, chapter 19, verse 18, Thou shalt not steal. This is the basis of the reason that we have the right to private property. We need it because we have the unalienable gift of God of life. So if one, one man does not have the right to steal, then two men do not have their right, and three men do not have their right, and 300 million men do not have their right. Now, if man creates government, man cannot give to government a right he does not have himself. Please let me repeat that we create government we can only give to government those rights we have either individually or collectively as i said if one man has the right to life and two men have the right three men have the right and 300 million men all have the right therefore we cannot give to government to the ability to determine the right called human life we can't give to government except those rights we have ourselves. So no government has the right to steal, if it is, even if it is given that right by people who do not believe it is wrong, like Karl Marx. The commandment is, thou shalt not steal, comma, except, <laughs> except that portion of thy neighbor's wealth, which <laughs> exceeds thine own. Your neighbor's got four bushels of wheat. You've only got one. You can steal because he's got more than you. (laughs) That's called stealing. The commandment is, thou shalt not steal except by majority vote either. In other words, let's get together and decide what to do with the surplus. Well, let's vote to share it equally. We'll take from those who have and give it to the have-nots by majority vote. The commandment is, Thou shalt not steal except by majority vote. Yet government is today doing what man or a majority of man cannot do. And where did it get that right? Simply stated it stole it. It stole the right to property, the right to life, and the right to freedom, the right to decide for ourselves. Now, flipping through pages again, the stuff that I'm covering just amplifies what I've explained briefly. Okay, now we can start asking about why do we create government. I remember starting way back when I started this study, way back in the 60s, asking candidates for various layers of government, either publicly or one-on-one, this single question to see if I could trust them with the power of government. And I would urge you to ask the same question. Whenever you get into a, a, a public uh, uh, ability, you know, an open house or they call it, where the, the candidate comes out and says, I want to learn what you people want me to do, so I'm going to ask you to tell me. So stand up and say, uh, Congressman, what is the function of government? Now, <laughs> we're going to examine some of those comments that they've given you. But if they did not say that government is to protect individual rights, don't vote for him. Because he's saying you don't live by rights, you live by privileges granted by government. And guess who's government? Me. The first time I asked that question, he he said it was to do what the majority wanted. So I said, now, okay, I'm going to respond. I asked him, how does that protect minority rights? Uh, uh, he, uh, he, he, he didn't have an answer, <laughs> and he took the next question. Did you hear what I just said? The majority is supposed to decide, but that doesn't protect the rights of minority. He doesn't want you to know that because he lives by majority vote. He's elected by majority vote. I had a found this way back in the 60s, I think. There was a, used to be a little cartoon uh, that used to appear in the, what they called the funnies in your newspaper called Little Orphan Annie. And uh, uh, there was a hero in there. And uh, in, in, I clipped it out way back in the 60s because it gave me a little example of what, uh, of what he believed the purpose of government was. Uh, the man uh, is talking to some guy. And he says the government is to do the is to do the greatest good for the greatest number. So that means that if you're in the minority, then the, the greatest good would be for the majority. So the greatest good for the greatest number of cannibals is the power to eat your neighbor, uh, meaning the minority when you're hungry. Is that what this man wanted? And I don't think so. I'm going to tell you a true story, uh, and I'm even going to name the name. And I. Re- the reason I do this is because I couldn't believe this answer, but I'm telling you, people believe this, and this is—I'm going to tell you because this man was a classmate of mine from the seventh grade all the way through the four years at the University of Arizona. Of course, I graduated with a bachelor's degree, and he went on to law school. So this man knew because he was trained as a lawyer. He later, became a United States senator, and his name was Dennis DeConcini. Dennis DeConcini—he was elected a uh a senator and he had a uh, uh he had an open forum and little ralphie epperson showed up <laughs> i hadn't seen dennis for probably 20 years so he's hey ralph how are you i haven't seen you what have you been up to and i said well dennis i didn't come here to talk about me i came here to talk about you i said what role does the gov- the constitution play in you're determining how to vote now remember that dennis took an oath as a senator, to protect, support, and defend the Constitution. And listen to what he said. He said, I vote my conscience. In other words, even though I took a note to support, protect, and defend the Constitution, I would vote my conscience. Dennis, you don't vote your conscience because you could be a cannibal. Now notice, Dennis was a graduate of the law school. How come he didn't learn that? In other words, Dennis decided on his own, like like Aleister Crowley said, "Do what thou wilt will be the whole of the law," and I'm the one making the law. So if I decide you will do it, you'll do it. I even asked Senator John McCain, the former uh, presidential candidate and a senator now, even from the state of Arizona, my home state. And I'm going to tell you this story. This happened in 1984. And I, of course, I can't document this, except I could probably, uh, you know, get a bunch of my friends who were there because it was in a public meeting. In fact, it was was speaking to a club I belong to. And I asked this question. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it the same way that he did it. I'm going to have to actually play the role. So I said to uh, Senator, what role does the Constitution in your decisions uh, play on how to vote on a particular bill? Now, here's what uh, uh, Senator McCain said. Please forgive me. I'm going to say it as he said. (laughs) If I voted the Constitution, government (laughs) government would be a lot smaller. (laughs) And then he went on to the next question. He admitted that the government is restricted, and his powers were restricted. But he said, I don't vote that way. I vote what I say. I decide on my own because I'm voting beyond the Constitution, which would limit my power to vote. Notice this. Senator, a congressman, this was when he was a congressman, Congressman John McCain should have been removed from office within 24 hours of that answer. He did not, he took an oath to protect, support, and defend the Constitution, but he just admitted he doesn't care about the Constitution because it limits his power to give away freebies and to spend money. Do you understand America? Ask your candidates, now especially while they're running for office, what is the purpose of the Constitution when you decide how to vote? Or even better yet, what is the function Of government and let me tell you now George Washington answered that question way back in the 1700s and these are his thoughts about government listen to this America government is not reason it is not eloquence it is force I'll repeat it government is force like fire it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master End quote. Notice this. He was admitting that governments were necessary, but that they were they could be dangerous to our freedom. Like fire, he said, fire is a dangerous government is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Now, let me illustrate that very simply. I have a fire burning in my home right now. I'm in my home in Tucson, Arizona. I'm in my computer room reading from my computer and, and the, uh, the uh, WordPerfect uh, uh, program. I have a fire burning about, old oh, maybe 30 feet away from me. You say, wait a minute, Ralph, that's dangerous. Go put it out. And I say, no, I don't want to put it out. Ralph, are you insane? You've got a fire burning in your home right now? Get, get, get real. We'll wait for you. Go put it out. Because you know... It's a dangerous servant in a fearful master. But I'm telling you, I, don't, I want it there. Are you crazy, Ralph? It's a fire. Because it is a pilot light in my furnace. If that fire gets out of its confines, meaning the furnace walls, which is metal, it will be a fearful master and could burn my house down. Well, how do I protect myself against this fire? I have confined it in a metal furnace wall. And as long as it is inside the furnace wall, it is a dangerous servant, but can never become a fearful master. Government is necessary. We use it, but we know that it also has an inherent danger. If it gets out of its confines, it too will become a dangerous servant and a fearful master. And the way we protect ourselves from government is by building a furnace wall around it. And that furnace wall is called a constitution. The constitution is to keep fire within its necessary limits so that it does not destroy our nation. George Washington, you can't say any better than that. This is a useful way of thinking about government because government is a fearful master, a dangerous servant, and a fearful master. Thomas Jefferson also wrote about this problem. Free government is founded in jealousy and not in confidence. It is jealousy which prescribed limited constitutions to bind down those whom we are obliged to trust with power. That our constitution has accordingly fixed the limits to which and no further our confidence may go. And here's the essence. In questions of power, then, let no more be said of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. Let me repeat that last thought. Bind him down from mischief, by the change of the Constitution, did the Constitution limit Senator Dennis DeConcini in how he voted? No, he voted his conscience. Did it limit Congressman John McCain? No, he voted beyond the Constitution because it's. He said in essence, it was limiting his power. He admitted that government would be a lot smaller. And not only that, he thought it was a funny thing. (laughs) John McCain, government is not funny. But you, well, I'll leave it at that. You can determine it yourself about how we and why we voted for this man. Now, let's see if this is the way they limited the the government of the United States in the Constitution. I think, you know, as you know, this was written and then, declared uh, approved in something like 1787. So let's see what they wrote in the Constitution. The Founding Fathers divided the power into three branches of government. Article one was where the legislative branch was created. The legislative branch is the one to write the laws. They created a second branch of government called the executive branch. And the executive branch is to enforce the laws. Now, there's a third branch called the judicial branch, and that was called to determine whether laws passed by Congress were constitutional. That's the only power it has. Now, in Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution, they limited or they defined or delegated, if you will, the powers granted to Congress. There's only 17 of them. Now, if you have a copy of the Constitution, I would urge you, To get it open and go to Article 1 and then Section 8. And I'm going to do this by just briefly summarizing what Congress, what powers the Congress has. Congress has the power to borrow, I'm sorry, number one was collect taxes, borrow money, regulate commerce, establish rules of naturalization, coin money, punish counterfeiters, establish post offices, promote science by limiting time to their writings and discoveries, constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court, punish piracies, declare war, raise armies, provide for a navy, make rules for the land and naval forces, call forth the militia, and organize the militia. Okay, if those are the only delegated powers did anybody hear anything about building a space telescope uh, built by Congress with our tax money? Does Congress have the power there? Uh, I, I don't remember hearing anything about that. And let me just offer this to you as a little kind of an interesting little story. Let's say that I had the power to go travel in time, like back to the future. I said I could go back and in 1787, while they're debating the Constitution, I walked in and said, listen, ladies and gentlemen, oh, I guess it was all men, gentlemen, I'm from the future, and here's proof of it. Um, I'm a, I am brought you a, this a newspaper, it was published, in uh, and here's a motion picture, and here's a map of the world, all these things that i brought with me to show you that you don't have these things, but I have them, that means I am from the future, I'm here from the year 2015. Now... Here's a picture of a space telescope. We want you to delegate Congress with that power, call it number 17. Congress shall have the power to tax the American people to build a space telescope. And they would say, wait a minute, what's a space telescope? What's space? We're talking about space, meaning when you sit down, don't take up too much space, or maybe uh, the, uh, the corral has a space of 40 square feet or something, but that's all we know. What are you talking about? Well, space is the area above us. When you look up, you're looking into space. No, we call that heaven. Okay, that's fine. But notice there's space up, there's things up above us, and we're going to be able to put this telescope up there and look through it. What's a telescope? The little thing that the captain uses when he on uh, a ship, and uses some, it, it telescopes out, and he looks at the horizon or looks at another ship. You're going to put that up in space? It's going to fall and hit you on the head. No, we'll have the ability. Now we're explaining something they have no knowledge of. So how could they have given that power? Because we don't have the power to time travel. They don't have the power. It's not delegated. Those are the only delegated powers. If you get into a situation where you can ask a congresswoman or a senator, congressman, I or senator, I have in front of me a copy of the Constitution, Article One, Section Eight, of classes 1 through 18 delegates specific powers. How many of those can you uh, explain or, or, you know, tell us about? And he'd say, well, I don't know what you're referring to, or we have the power to do whatever I want, or I vote by conscience. I said, Congressman, it doesn't say that here. You've only got these powers. Why did you vote to, to uh, orbit the Earth with a space telescope? Well, I just don't well, you know, <laughs> I vote by conscience, you see. You see what they're doing? But I want you to know Congress does have that power. Yes, I'm afraid to tell you. I think we'll cover that maybe in a few more minutes. These are the only powers that Congress has. And let me refer to the Tenth Amendment to further confirm that. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, meaning those 18, nor prohibited by it to the are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. So they refer to delegated powers. They're listed A, B, C, D, E, etc. In other words, they're specifically listed. Now, let me just point out something. Uh, okay, now here's where I asked the question about space telescopes. Does it did anything anything in there say they can fund education or give foreign aid to other nations? or force the people to buy medical insurance like Obamacare does? Notice, if the power is not delegated, Congress does not have that power. There are only 18 of these, so just how could the Founding Fathers envision the day when America could use taxpayers' money to build and orbit the Hubble Space Telescope or send your money to a foreign nation? or fund education, or fund welfare. They're doing it. They simply would have had no knowledge about many of these things. They certainly did not fund education. They certainly did not create a welfare state. They certainly did not force people to buy medical insurance or whatever. But it's there. And I would dare say that at least 95% of what they're doing is not delegated. But I wanna now bring into you to you this particular next part of our discussion. Hold on, America, this is not gonna be pleasant. But unfortunately we have to deal with the truth because I'm going to deal with truth. You can read along with me. We're going to read, go back and reread parts of the declaration and the constitution. And I'm going to show you how they have unlimited power and that power was given to them by the founding fathers. So please, just bear with me. Okay, now there's a, the first link to what I'm going to discuss. Is something uh, you don't if you don't have a copy. If you have a copy of the Constitution Declaration, you won't know about this. But if you're on your computer, you can do this. Google the Declaratory Act. The Declaratory Act of Parliament in 17. 17- sixty six the Declaratory Act, and that's where we're going to start. It was passed by the English Parliament on March the 18th, 1766. Now, please understand, if you don't have a copy, just listen, and then later verify it by doing your own search. Go to Google, type in the Declaratory Act, and read it with your own eyes, and you're going to read what I'm going to read to you right now. Here's what it says at the bottom of the second paragraph the king's majesty of right ought to have full power full, full power and not not just some power full power and authority to make laws and statutes of sufficient force sufficient force and validity to bind to bind the colonies and people of america subjects of the crown of great britain Now, let's stop right there. We're not quite finished with that sentence. But let's talk about this. We were subjects of the crown of Great Britain. We were citizens of England, actually called the people of England. Uh, We were citizens, and we were subject to the will of the king. But here the king is being given power, full power and authority to bind the colonies and people. And then we're going to continue. Subjects of the Crown of Great Britain is where we just ended. Now we're going to add one, two, three, four words. Subjects of the Crown of Great Britain in all cases whatsoever. Now stop and think about that. How much power is there in those four little words? All power, all power, unlimited power, tyrannical power, despotic power, no limits to that power in all cases whatsoever. That's called tyrannical power, unlimited power. And Parliament gave it to King George, and he's now going to extend it over the subjects of the crown of Great Britain. Now let's move forward 10 years to the 1776 Declaration of Independence. And you can read this in the first paragraph. We the people, now remember the words people. If we have time, we'll get into that later on. We called ourselves the people, and here's what, what we wrote. We, the people, wrote, quote, The history of the present king of Great Britain, King George, is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations. Now, the word usurpation is not you. I don't know. you had to look it up myself. But it's the illegal seizure of sovereign power. A man living on an island by himself is sovereign. No other man, no government, no nothing. But as soon as another man or whoever swims onto the island, he's now got to worry about sovereignty because the other man might decide I'm the king and you're the slave. So You got to worry about sovereignty. Sovereign people are free from government restraints, meaning those illegal restraints. We create government for moral reasons, so it's an immoral seizure of sovereign power. And we were now going to reclaim our sovereignty by declaring our independence from the tyranny of the king. Let's keep reading. The word sovereignty is defined as being supreme in power. Sovereign is defined as being unlimited by any other. Or, and I'm contending it means by limited by any unreasonable, un- immoral uh, action. Now let's continue the declaration. All having in direct object this. Power of the uh, King George, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the states. Now let's stop. Stop there and talk about the word definition for tyranny. Webster's 1828 dictionary defines the word tyranny as absolute power. That means unlimited power. It is fair to conclude that the founding fathers felt that the King George at King George had been granted the tyrannical power to steal the sovereignty of the American people by the phrase, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. They went on to continue. They listed 30 specific... Oh, by the way, go back. Notice one more thing. Tyranny is defined as absolute power, but they said it was an absolute, absolute power. It means this is it, baby. There ain't no limits to this. He said he's got total, unlimited power in the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever and they're going to show us that the 22nd of about 30 of these specific evidences that's what they said to to let the uh, to show these facts to the a candid world meaning we're now going to explain how we why we are declaring our independence to a candid world meaning if you want to know oh, here's the reasons and the 22nd of this of these are the one i want to refer to king george was giving his assent to the suspending of our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. They used identically the same four words, which means they know precisely what the declaratory Act said, and they recognized that as being total, absolute tyrannical power. Unlimited power, despotic power, no limits. They were acknowledging that this grant of power, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, was the very power that they had, that they had had been. I'm sorry, that had been granted to King George by the Declaratory Act of 1766. They actually def- used the words from that act. That grant is the very definition of tyranny. There are no limits to that grant of power. The English power had been given the, had given the king absolute, dictatorial, tyrannical, unlimited power over the American people. The Constitution was issued in 1787, 11 years after the Declaration. Now let's go back to the, Declaration, or to the Constitution. We, the people, once again the people, to ordain and establish this Constitution... For the United States of America. Let's stop right there. So it was here now in the Constitution that this crime of our founding fathers was first exhibited. So they're now going to say we're going to create a Constitution and form a government. So now let's get in. I'm going ahead of scanning several pages to get caught up with this. So please bear with me. I know this is not very efficient, but because uh, I'm sure you're waiting to hear how they gave this power to congress okay well i guess i, I can't i can't find enough to do it from memory and it doesn't look like i marked it on my thing here i did this just a couple of days ago so i probably didn't get finished with it okay yeah i, I did i did this without uh, uh yellowing it so i'm gonna to have to do it from memory okay let's go back and i'm gonna get my copy of the constitution out and we'll read it together i'll do it from uh from my uh, constitution So now we know that they were actually saying the king has got absolute power and now we're going to create government and we're going to now go back to Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the 18. Congress shall have the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, meaning District of Columbia, as may become the seat of the government of the United States. Now, let's stop here before we go any further, and let's now define there are two governments in the Constitution. One is for the people in the states of America. And Go back to the Declaration. It reads, we, the people of the United States of America. Now, let's take those words one by one. The word united is not capitalized. That means it's not a name, it's not a noun, it's a I don't know an adjective or an adverb, but it means the states, which is the next word, those states were united. So the word the states were united in creating a country known as America, not the United States of America. We were creating a nation called America. And the states who created this country and the Declaration and the Constitution were united, all 13 of them. Now, because we're talking about specific states, they capitalized the S in states. But it doesn't mean that we're the states of America. We're still America. We live in a nation known as America, consisting of now 50 states. So now. They're admitting that there's a government called the government of the United States in Washington, D.C., and they went on to define that government as meaning the government of the United States. Notice, they didn't say of America, so there's a, a nation called America and a separate government, if you will, called the United States. And boy, is that going to play a role in what we're now going to continue. Now, We went back to the 10th Amendment. In fact, let's read that 10th Amendment. Because we talked about power. Let me go to the 10th Amendment. I'm flipping now through the 10th. And there's uh, 13. I went too far. Here's Amendment number 10. The powers not delegated to the United States, Washington, D.C., by the Constitution are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Now, let me give you an example of what that just what that just said they just gave congress total power in article one section eight clause 17 now please understand we we call those things clauses that's not in the constitution but that's just a way to separate them because they're separated by what do they call them semicolons or colon, whatever they're called and um, so they listen we call them clauses to help you find it this is the 17th of the 18 clauses that, uh, that they talk about, giving granted power to Congress. Now, notice this. They gave all power to Congress, but everything that's left over belongs to the states or the people. Now, let me use a little simple illustration, and you can use this as well. Uh, I'm going to make up, a, let's say, that uh, Thomas comes to Tucson as a visitor, and he say, Thomas, come over to the house. We're going to sit and talk about this. Oh well, I I'd love to do that. And uh, you people uh, think about Arizona as always being a furnace of 115 degrees. So we're sitting out in our patio, and it's 115 degrees. And Thomas says, boy, am I thirsty. And I said, you're right, Thomas, it's hot. I'm going to go inside, and I just made before you came a glass, a, a pitcher of lemonade. It's in the refrigerator. It's got ice cubes, it. I'll tell you, I use a real good fresh sugar and fresh lemons. It's delicious. I'll bring out two glasses. So I, I go inside, get the pitcher, and come outside with the two glasses. And I say, oh, here they are now. Here's what I'm going to do, Thomas. I'm going to pour the pitcher into my glass, and everything that's left over belongs to you. So you're, you say, oh, man, I'm my thirsty. Your mouth starts to, starts to water and say, well, I sure could use a glass of lemonade. So I pour it out, and it fills my glass with nothing left. And you say, wait a minute, Ralph. I said, no, Thomas, I did what I said. I didn't lie to you. I told you I was going to pour out what, what was in the picture uh, to both of us and I'll pour out my glass and I'll promise to pay to pour out whatever's left over to you. Isn't that what the Founding Fathers just did? They gave the United States total power, but everything left, left over belongs to the states or the people. You can argue that that's proof that there are no constitutional states' rights anymore. Couldn't you? Notice, I told Thomas, I didn't lie to him. I told him, Thomas, I'm telling you, I'm going to pour out whatever's left over, but there's nothing left over. If you give all power to Congress and then leave whatever's left over, there's nothing left over. But boy, I'm telling you, there's reason to be concerned, and let's not take the next couple steps, because we've seen... That, that our founding fathers betrayed us. Oh, by the way, let's go back. I didn't mention this because I didn't, I didn't want to, I'm doing this from ad lib now. Let's go back to there were 39 men who signed the, de- the Constitution, 56 men signed the Declaration. There were only nine men who signed both documents. The other 30 of those who signed the Constitution did not. So they signed only the Constitution. Nine men signed both of the documents. Now, remember that it was in the Declaration that the the founding fathers admitted that King George had the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, and in the Declaration, they called that an absolute tyranny, total unlimited power. And now they're going back and saying, we're going to give that same power to Congress, now, you could argue, let's be fair. 30 of those men did not, maybe didn't know about this because they were not there to sign the declaration. But nine of them were, including Ben Franklin. Everybody loves Ben Franklin. How could you say something negative? Ben Franklin knew because he signed both documents. He knew what the power of legislation meant, and yet he. He signed a document that gave that same power to Congress. Congress does have the power to float, an orbit a space telescope, to give foreign aid to a foreign nation, to force us into a contract, to do whatever they want. They've got total unlimited power in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. But wait a minute, Ralph. It did say only in the United States, and I will concede that. Let's read it again. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. Just to show you that I'm trying to be fair Congress shall have the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district as may become the seat of government of the United States. And both words are capitalized. So they've only got this power in Washington, D.C. Oh, well, that, we're lucky it didn't affect us in the States. Let me show you how it did affect us in the States. Because the 10th Amendment said, we're going, to, we're going to give you whatever power is left over after we created the government of the United States. Now, let me point out to you one more thing. The, uh, uh, this power, you can say, "You can say, wait a minute, I, I live in the state of Arizona. I was born in Arizona. Therefore, this doesn't affect me because I'm not, I don't live in the United States. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, I'll cover that in the last. Remind me, promise if I forget, to mention the uh, border between us and Mexico. And that's going to play a part in this as well. Now, let's go back now to the 13th and 14th Amendments. Now, everybody knows that the war, the Civil War was fought over slavery. That's exactly what I was taught in my, uh, in my uh, history classes and in the books I've read. In fact, while I was writing The Unseen Hand, I wanted to learn whether or not the, uh, the uh, uh, history books or the books written on history talked about the, the fact that Russia Russia saved the North during the Civil War. Oh, I've never heard that before. That can't be true because it's not in my history books. I must have skimmed the indexes for about 20 books on the Civil War at a Barnes & Noble where it was. Not one of them mentioned the role of Russia in saving the North, and I wonder why. But we know the reason we fought the war was slavery, and I'm going to tell you it was not fought over slavery. In fact, I proved it in my book, The Unseen. It was fought over the issue of a central bank. Now, let's just leave it at that. But at least go this way. We know the world has accepted it as being a fight over the issue of slavery, and we, the North one, which means the South can no longer own slaves. And now they're going to codify that by making an amendment to the Constitution, the 13th Amendment, ratified just months after the Civil War ended in April of 1865. Here's what it says, 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the united states okay so no slavery can exist in your local state your state if you wish because we have the, no it can't because they've got total power okay well let's just leave with that because let me show you how this is extended over you and i oh i don't want to hear this ralph <laughs> that would be a good time to uh, hang up or leave the room wherever it is and listen because I know this is live apparently, you might want to stop it. I've had enough, Ralph, (laughs) because this is not going to be fun. Let me tell you how this all-powerful government now applies to you personally, you, whoever's listening. And I'll I'll say there there might be some. I will give everybody. But most of us, okay, I'll just leave it at that. Most of us are now going to see how it applies to us. Okay, no slavery. What's slavery? Forcing someone to do something against their will. The slaves were brought over here by force in some sort of, sh- sort of ship. They were unloaded and then went to an auction block, and they were bid on by slave owners, you know, people that owned, uh, 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 what's the word? Um, <laughs> they, could, they could grow cotton. <laughs> I can't think of the word. But anyway, they, uh, they could grow cotton, so they needed people to pick it. So they, they bought slaves. So that's what I mean. We're going to have that anymore in the United States. Nor involuntary service. I believe that means by contract, a written contract. But either way, you can't force someone into a contract not of their choosing. That's what the Thirteenth Amendment said. So come on, Ralph, you're wrong, huh? It doesn't apply to me because I ain't no. I'm not a slave. I'm not in, under some contract that makes me uh, do things I don't want to do. Okay, let's hold it right there. Now let's go to the Fourteenth Amendment passed in 1868. Just a matter of uh, of. Uh, uh, years uh, later, a month later, uh, three uh, four, three years later. All persons born or naturalized in the United States. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does the word person mean? Well, what do you mean persons? We the people have unalienable rights. What's this thing called a person? We didn't say we the people uh, born or naturalized, all persons. Now that plays a very important role because I'm not going to prove that a person lives by privilege not by unalienable right in other words our status has changed from being someone who lives in a country that states that your rights are unalienable which means no government can take them away well the government's going to take them away because we gave them our founding fathers gave them total power not only over the united states but also over america please be open let me finish all persons people who live by privilege born or naturalized in the united states where's that only washington dc we do not live in the united states if you live in arizona michigan georgia wherever california whatever you're not a citizen of the united states because you live in the state of arizona georgia or michigan all persons born and naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and, and of the state wherein they reside. Wait a minute. Well, what were we before the 14th amendment? Now they were citizens of the United States. And it's like, how did I do that? I didn't, I, I'm not born in Washington, DC. I've got a piece of paper. It's not called a birth certificate. It's strange because many years ago, but later on, I'm told they're now called birth certificates, but I'm not, I was born in Arizona and there's a, a record on, uh, in the county or county courthouse or something saying little Ralphie Epperson was born so and so year, Doctor signed it, my parents signed it, and it's been registered. That's to certify that I was born in a state known as the state of Arizona. And therefore, I'm resident of the state, and therefore, I'm eligible to become a member of the people. But notice this. You can become a citizen of the United States and of the state where you reside by being naturalized. Now, what's naturalization? The best example I can give you is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Everybody knows about the Terminator. (laughs) People in California, when he was elected governor, called him the governator. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. Arnold Schwarzenegger was born in Austria. Wait a minute, he's, he's a foreigner. Yes, he was, and he says, I want to go to America. And the only way to get into America is either being born there or naturalized. So he's not born in, he's born in Austria. So they said, "No, wait a minute, uh, you can be naturalized, Arnold. Here's, now, I'm going to make this up. I believe the next step, I might be a little wrong about it, but I believe there were when he was coming over to America, there were, there were quotas per, per nation. And let's just say, uh, for, if that statement's correct, it might not be, but only 10 people could come from Austria at that time. So Schwarzenegger got on the list, and his name worked his way up the list, and finally he's number one. So they said, okay, we can allow you to go to America, but first, before you go, Arnold, to America, uh, or the United States, I'll say, you've got to have someone in the United States or one of the states uh, give you, tell us in writing that uh, they'll take care of you. You can live with them, and you be, won't be a drain on society. You'll live in his house, he'll take care of you, feed you, and help you get a job. And then when you get a job, You'll be given when you go there. You'll be given some sort of temporary thing that gives you permission to live there for five years uh, because you want to be naturalized, but you're still a citizen of Austria. So that at the end, close to the end of the five years, I believe Schwarzenegger walked into, was sent some sort of letter and said, "Okay, come on in. We're going to have the ceremony to make you a citizen of the United States." So the, to do that, you got to take a little class. They'll tell you about the Constitution, and what becomes a bill, and what does it mean. A Congress and what's their House Representatives? What's a senator? Uh, what's a state? What's a governor? Cetera, all these little things to make you feel that you're part of the United States. And then you're going to raise your hand and, and take a vow of naturalization to obedience to the United States. Arnold Schwarzenegger just became a citizen of the United States, the most powerful government ever devised by man as having all power because it's written down in concrete. And it's become legal. Schwarzenegger just turned his entire body over. Everything that Schwarzenegger does is now controlled because he became a naturalized citizen. And now he's also a state of a state of California if he lives in California resident, a citizen. So if so, if Schwarzenegger left a socialist state where he had some rights and privileges uh, that weren't granted by government, and he just gave all that up, and I don't. I think he knows that, and I'm hoping that some of you that might know him might ask him and ask him to tell us if that's true, Schwarzenegger come out and have a press conference, tell us whether or not you know that you that the government you took a oath to become a citizen of the United States called naturalization. Now, how did this extend to me <laughs> a whole lot of America, I hope you're sitting down because this is not going to be fun under the Thirteenth Amendment, you cannot be forced to buy Obamacare. I don't care if they pass the law. Congress has the right to pass a law for Washington, D.C. By the way, Washington, D.C., Congress has total unlimited power in Washington, D.C. Now, they allow them to have a mayor uh, and I think a city council, but everything that they pass has to be certified and approved by Congress. Let me give you two examples. I just put these out of my local newspaper. Sometime a law in the past, uh, years ago, Some citizen of Washington, D.C. was arrested for carrying a gun in a holster. Well, the Second Amendment, for those of us in the United States, in America, we have the right to keep and bear arms. Now, some states don't grant us that, but here in Arizona, I go to meetings of my fellow patriots, and some of those people are carrying a gun, and I'm grateful they're there because they know how to use it. And if someone comes here and says, I'm going to kill 25 of you patriots today, these people are prepared to make sure they don't, and I'm glad they're there. I don't carry. Well, I guess I shouldn't admit that. Yes, better be careful. I might carry. Let's leave it, let's leave it at that. Uh, but anyway, it, it's a guaranteed right in the Second Amendment. Congress shall pass a no law restricting our right to keep and bear arms. But Schwarzenegger can't carry a gun unless government gives him permission. Now, in Washington, D.C., a man was arrested. He has no Second Amendment because Congress says, we passed a law, or what do they going to call it, a statute in Washington, D.C., and you can't carry a gun in Ulster in public. And the second was they got a curfew. I didn't hear anything about curfews being legal in that there was 17 specific powers of Congress, but they passed a law, so you've got to be in by 10 o'clock. That shows you that Washington, the D.C., called the United States, has a different government. By the way, notice this. The senators have their own social security program and their own Medicare. Why do they do that? Because they're citizens of the United States and you and I are persons who live in the United States. Here's where we're going to go. We're going to show you that you and I become persons under the 14th Amendment. Now, all persons border naturalized are citizens of the United States. How did we do that? Remember that the 13th Amendment says we can't, force you into a contract and they didn't do that let me tell you how there is no law i'll repeat it no law requiring anyone to get and i call it what it is the socialist security system there's no law requiring you to get a number oh no ralph we got you this time i know every day you cannot get a job unless you have a socialist security number and i say Show me the law, and you can't do it. Show me the law. It doesn't exist. In my DVD, when I cover this, I show you two letters that I didn't make up, you'll have to trust me, are written on their stationery from the, the Social Security Administration, both of which admit it's voluntary because under the 13th Amendment, they can't force us to buy to get a number oh now wait a minute, Ralph. I know you're wrong because let me tell you what happened to me when I was in my civil I'll tell you now what happened to me in my civics class when I was a senior in high school our teacher says you people are all going to graduate and so we need to talk to the uh, someone I'm invited someone in from the social security administration so the little lady shows up and she says hey kids I'll do this the Hollywood version Hey, kids, you're all going to graduate here in a couple more months. And when you do, you'll go out and look for your first job. And when you do, the boss is going to say, what is your Social Security number? And you're going to say, I don't have one of those. Well, I'm going to tell you now, and you're going to say, you don't have one. But I know you can get one when you come into the Social Security Administration and sign up, and you'll give you the number. Oh, that's a good idea, so I'll go down. Notice she didn't say it was a law because she knows there's no law. She didn't say you have to, but if you want a job, you have to have one of these. So you go there and the boss says, what's your social security number? And you say, okay, here it is. I've got one of those cards. Look at what I did. I got a card, a number. But when you did that, you admitted that you were a citizen of the United States because they can only give social security numbers to citizens of the United States. No, no, I'm never a citizen. I was not born in the Yes, you were. You You came in. And you said you wanted one of those, and we said, okay, fine, we can give you one of those, because we presumed you knew that you needed one. Well, there's no law, and I'll challenge you to find the law. Now, let's take the second example. There's no law requiring you to pay income taxes. No law. Now, wait a minute, Ralph. We got you here. No. Find the law. There's a man who will pay you $100,000 if you can find the law. Please, you can make $100,000. And you say, well, they'll never pay me. i am telling you this, it's in writing, which means if they don't pay you and you can find the law, the court will force them to give you the $100,000. There's no question. He said it. It's in writing. He's advertising this. Take him up on it. Find the law. IRS agents who were enforcing the law heard this and said, if anybody knows the law, it's me. So I'm, I'm going to find the law. And they can't find it either. Wait a minute. And one man, who's now, he's been speaking about this probably for 10 years, went into his boss and said, listen, I've been trying to find the law that I'm enforcing. This man has a gun and a, a, a car, and he can arrest you for violating the law. Well, there's no law. He said, well, of course there's a law. I wouldn't be enforcing it if there's no law. So he went into his boss and said, I can't find the law. Can you tell me where the law is so I can enforce it? So according to him, the boss said, well, tell you what, we'll write to, the, uh, to our headquarters in Washington, D.C., and we'll get them to it for you, and then you'll get it in writing. Okay, I'll wait, I'll wait. He waited and waited. Finally goes in and says, where's the law? I said, well, uh, the, 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 they're still trying. No, I'll tell you this, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, if you continue to persist in looking for the law, we're going to ask you to turn in your gun and your keys to your uh, company car. He was fired. Oh, asked to resign. But, but it was, in essence, he was fired. The little lady did the same thing. She heard it. said, well, I can show sure you $100,000. And she tried to find the law. Couldn't find it either. There's no law because of the 13th Amendment. But you can volunteer. Now, how did you volunteer? They can only give you that benefit if you become a citizen. So you were declared to be a naturalized citizen. Now, let me prove it to you. What's a person? A person is born... I'm sorry. A person is a member. A person is an individual who lives by privilege. Now let me prove that. There's a thing called the um, uh, Hippocratic Oath, which was written in 200 B.C. by a, a man, a man called Hippocrates, who was a, a, apparently the father of medicine. And for for 200 years, actually for 2,000 years, approximately, people have been. Taking, who become doctors, take this oath. And you can read it yourself by going it onto the uh, uh, Internet and type in Hippocratic Oath, and you read it. And if you get an original copy, there's only one thing that you're told not to do. Everything else is you're going to serve the people and love them and make sure they give the right medication and the right food and the diet, everything else. There's only one thing you're not supposed to do, and that is to, to, to cause a woman to abort her child. Okay, abortion, according to Hippocratic Oath, is not taught to our doctors. And that's why until 1960 here in America, doctors took that oath, including that oath not to give a woman or create or cause an abortion to be performed. But that's changed because we're modern men, and we know better than hypocrisies in 2,000 years. Now, the Roe v. Wade decision that declared it's your body said, the government cannot force you or tell you to produce you know to deliver that child it's your body it's under the 13th amendment so we're going to declare the unborn child not an unborn child but a fetus you see originally before this was this declaration in about 1960 the the unborn baby was a, a member of the people as soon as conception. And any time along that process, someone who killed that baby was guilty of murder. And if someone injured that baby while it was being carried by its mother, that baby, when born, had rights to sue the injuring party. It was if she was in mother was in an accident and during that the child got a broken arm and because when it was bo- born it was uh, uh, bent or something, that child could sue the injuring party for t- to correct that but not anymore because it's a fetus. And in fact, the Roe v. Wade says it's a person who does not qualify for protection under the 14th Amendment. Please, if you don't believe me, verify it yourself. Now, let me give you another little example about how fraudulent that is. There's a thing called the uh, – a man – I'll do it this way. I don't remember the name of the case. But I got the article from my local newspaper. Some guy, years later, five years later, and I think their decision was 18 what 1973. This was in '78 or something, '63, '768. Five years later, after the Roe v. Wade decision came out, the man, the uh, uh, the man took uh, was apparently arrested for taking leech trail, which is a naturally occurring vitamin because he believed it would cure cancer. So they said you don't have the right to take leech trail, meaning a a seed or a berry or a uh, 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 some sort of vegetable that contains later. You can't do that because it's not your body. Now wait a minute. Is it my body or not? No, it is when we say it is, and not when it isn't. Because you're a person, and persons live by privilege. Privilege means we grant you the right, but then we can take it away. So we used to grant you the right to have uh, to have an unborn child protected, but now that we we can have the right, we'll declare it a, a a fetus, and therefore uh, we can. Determined, it has it doesn't qualify. Now let me give you a little example about how how I know this is right. I I was lecturing once in a, in a neighboring state, and uh, I we talked about this very specific point. And uh, a young couple came up during the break and said, "Let me tell you, Ralph, we got a story that you'll find it interesting. So please do." Now he said that he I would guess they were in your late twenties or early thirties. I'm not very good at that, but they were a young couple, and they said, "Listen, when we had our baby." it goes again. I'll see if I can, I'm reducing the volume. I said off, okay. Uh, we we did, went to the hospital, delivered They delivered our baby, and we came back for it when we were allowed to you know get our baby from the doctor. So we walked in and said, hi there, we're the Johnson family, we're here to pick up little little Mary Johnson. And they say, Accor- according to our, according to our, I'm sorry, uh, this is something I have no control over because we're on Skype. So,
0: that that's
1: okay okay well i just i just hung it up and maybe you'll get the message we won't we'll call again okay uh, uh our records show that you have, don't have a socialist security number for a mary uh, that's right well we our policy is that we cannot deliver the child to you until we get a social security number so the young man said uh would you bring the administrator down here please And so the the administrator came down. Now, the is not a doctor. He's a man with a business suit and tie on. And he said, well, that's our policy. He said, the young man told the administrator, if you don't deliver that baby to me in five minutes, I will call the police and charge you with kidnapping because there's no law. And the man said, here's your baby. Thank you very much for coming in. You see, ignorance of the law is permissible And they can get away with it. And I don't, if you're going to have a baby in a hospital, please remember this. You do not have to get a social security number for your baby to get your baby. And if they resist it, ask them for the law. Please. Now, one more, two more things. When you get your 1040 form, you fill it out, it says, who must pay the tax? Citizens of the United States. Wait a minute. I was not born in Washington D.C. I'm not a naturalized citizen. Yes, you are, because you're now a citizen of the United States. Because you're a naturalized citizen, you you got one of their benefits, and they can only give it to citizens of the United States. Do you understand? And to give you another little example, the uh, I live in Tucson, as I've said, Tucson, Arizona, 60 miles from the border. So we drive, you can drive across the border. He used to be able to drive across the border without, there's a wall or a gate, but they let you, you stop the car. You say to the guy, I just want to go to for He's from Mexico. I just want to go to some Gal- shopping. Okay, fine. Thank you very much. Because after you get past gals you'll be stopped. If you don't have the proper papers, then it's a different thing. But you're allowed to go shopping if you're from America. You've got a license plate from America. It's sort one of the states. so they'll let you in and browse. So we drove across the border. Five of us. my brother... My mother, stepfather, my mother, and my aunt my grandmother, five of us, so we were we got back in the car we're driving back towards the border, still in Mexico, we have not crossed the border into arizona so my mother now please understand my mother has since gone on, my stepfather's gone, my grandmother's gone it's my brother and I are the only two left of those five so i'm not gonna I'm not gonna get these people for lying, you know. <laughs> but my, my mother's going to encourage my grandmother to lie, so forgive me. But, Mom, this story's true, and you get it for the right reasons. She said to my grandmother, who had never been there. She was from New York. She's visiting. So she said, Grandma, when we get to the border, uh, the man's going to ask you, where were you born? Now, please don't say Poland, Grandma, because you don't have your papers, and without papers, you can't get into the United States. I presume she was a naturalized citizen. So, the guy says, "Where are you from?" My grandmother lied and said New York, and so she waived his sin. So you got to be a citizen. Now, when you cross the border, wait, let's go back. Uh, the where were you born was the question. Now, when you cross the border, the, the same people, now maybe the different agency, says, "Are you a citizen of the United States?" What's changed from being a where were you born, meaning your state, born in the United States, uh, born in America? you could even say the united states if you're born in washington D.C., but that's not an option anymore now i'll tell you i'm gonna tell you the truth when i come i came across the border last time i laughed and said i was born in arizona <laughs> i tried the john mccain approach <laughs> hey look at me baby i'm a born in the united uh born in america in the, uh, the united the States of arizona so he waved me across i guess he knew but notice if you're across the border and you admit to being a uh, not a citizen. I mean, a citizen without papers. You can't get back in. And by the way, the last thing I want to point out to you is that the people crossing the border are not coming into the United States, are they? They're coming into a state of America. In our case, they're crossing the border of Arizona. Our state constitution defines the state borders the Colorado River at one point, and then the 38th parallel, north and south and the east, west, or whatever it is, and the border of Mexico. When these people cross the border, they're not entering the United States. They're entering the state, the sovereign state of Arizona, which means we should be protecting our border. Now, this is a different issue. If it's an army, then... We, the people, gave Congress, under the regular Constitution, we gave them the power to raise an army, which means send the troops down there to stop them. But when they're civilians with no evidence of being an army, Arizona should protect its borders. And we in Arizona have been trying to get our governor to abide by that because these these illegals that we believe the United States are supposed to stop are crossing the border and costing us billions of dollars in increased taxes. Figure it out, ladies and gentlemen. They're crossing the border of, in Arizona, the border of our of our state, Arizona. But our state will not protect the border. And I say go down there with a fence and build it from corner to corner and then let them cross into New Mexico or California and then urge them to do it. And actually, I think there's four states that are affected by this. One, Arizona is one of them. So, And the last question is, comment is this. When I got a call to go to jury oh there's two more uh, people uh driver's license but uh, the when i got a a call to go serve jury duty i believe it was a federal court doesn't matter but they said all right mr upperson we got your name off of the voters rolls or your car registration and since we know you live in arizona we'd be happy to have you serve on a jury and so we're inviting you to come down on uh, thursday morning at eight o'clock sign in and then we'll uh assign you to a jury and you can serve your serve your fellow uh, citizens so i wrote back to them because the first question was are you a citizen of the united states so i wrote back and said uh, uh, uh whoever who, whom it may concern i'm asking no answering no because i'm not now i believe i am a citizen but they don't have a contract so I'm, i got them so i say i'm not a citizen of the united states i was born in arizona and i can produce my It's called something else, a certificate of birth or something. I don't know. But I got one of those. I can show you that. I'll bring it with me to show I was born in the state of Arizona. And I'm not a citizen of the United States. So I sent it in. I documented the 14th Amendment. I said, that's the only place where the whole thing's issued. And I'm not a person. I'm a a, a member of the uh, body known as the people. And therefore, I have sovereign rights. So she called me and said, "Uh, you better come on in. I said, no, wait, ma'am, I just told you. I'm answering, if you have to be a citizen, I'm not a citizen, and I documented. I told you why well, I'm not. She said, everybody's a citizen. And unfortunately, that's probably almost true. Some people are not because they have gotten out, but let's just leave it at that. So I said, okay, ma'am, I'll show up. I said, I want to talk to a judge. Well, you can talk to the judge when you get there. So I went down there, signed in, and so I said, when can I talk to a judge? Well, wait a little while, you'll be able to talk to a judge which means if I'm called a jury duty, the, the judge will ask you questions you can ask him then. So I said, okay, fine. So I sat there and said, well, I'm gonna show them. So I had all these papers in my shirt pocket. And so they uh, called 25 of us, I think it was, across the street or into a courthouse and we were going to room number seven. And so we all walked into room number seven and sat down and there's a bailiff there telling us that the, we're not in the courtroom yet. That's a, outside the door in the cross hall, we are go into the courtroom. This is the little room, a waiting room to get into the courtroom, but only for jury members, us 25. So we were saying, I was getting prepared. Here's what I'm going to do. The, guys go, say, the judge goes, uh, uh, Call, they call you, they call, I guess maybe one at a time. Ralph Epperson, please go to the jury box. So I get out of the, the room, you know, behind the bar, walk across the bar into the courtroom and into the uh, back area and sit down and say, Mr. Epperson, who are you? I'm Ralph Epperson. You live in Tucson, yes, sir? He said, are you a citizen of the United States? He said, your honor, may I ask a question? He said, yes. I said, yeah. your honor, I, uh, I'm not a citizen of the United States, and I'll tell you why. I said, I'm going to read the 14th Amendment. I'm going to read it to you because I've got a copy of the Constitution in my shirt pocket. I'll read you the 14th Amendment. All persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States. I said, I've got to my birth certificate, although I had the right name because I had the paper. I have a piece of paper saying I was born in Arizona, therefore I'm not a citizen of the United States. However, it does say that I could be naturalized to become a citizen. So I said, Your Honor, if you've got a contract that I signed, and I didn't know it was a naturalization, if you can produce the contract, I'll be happy to check the signature and try to recall when it was dated and whether I signed it. If I signed it, I'm a citizen. I'll gladly serve on your jury. And I think he's going to say, "Case, yeah, thank you for coming in, Mr. Epperson. See, they know too. And in other words, there is no you're not a citizen unless you volunteer. And how did you do that? Notice this. You got your first paycheck on your new job, and you noticed there were taxes withdrawn. Wait a minute. All I thought was getting a number. No. When you got your Social Security card, there was a comment in there about uh, that the, the money to pay for it will be taken in taxes, plus you'll pay income taxes to the United States. So, you're, that's how
0: you're, so you're actually contracting yourself out.
1: Yep. Yeah. You did it when you got your social security number. Do you understand what I've just tried to tell you? Please, we've been conned. We've been lied to. We've been tricked. And I'm telling you, there are people who claim you can get out of it. Now, I'm going to warn you, please, this is very, very difficult to do. Uh, If you're going to look into it, please be very cautious. And I'll tell you why. Now, years ago, I was taking a bunch of classes in Tucson. I, I didn't enroll in it. It was not enrolled, anyways. A bunch of people just got together. I learned about them. Um, uh, my friend, he was a pastor, a retired pastor, we had a small church. He told us, Hey, come Wednesday night. I've got a class going. You're free to come. So I went. I used to go as often as I could because I generally, many times, would work and do a talk show on Wednesday night, so I wouldn't go. So I went there and said, uh, I learned that uh, there are people claiming that you can get. Uh, get out of the system, and he was explaining how you do it, and I made a list uh, of people that I knew either in the class or from others who someone would say, this Johnny just got arrested, so I'll make, make a note of Johnny Jones, and then someone would say, oh yeah, Billy did as well, that's now two of them, and I listed 17 people that I knew personally had either gone to jail, been hit on the head, arrested, handcuffed, questioned, Jailed temporarily whatever it was and they didn't get any you know either didn't get out or they went through this stuff and they were told to stop it so they got the lesson and then I, I listed a sheet of paper I said those who've been arrested charged with a crime are jailed hit on the head handcuffed read their rights everything and I listed on the left hand side of the paper all those 18 or 70 where it was who had gone through that and then on the right hand side I showed a list of all those who've been arrested charged with the crime hit on the head who led the unseen hand, and there were none, none. No one had ever been arrested, not that I know of, or charged with a crime for reading my book. So I'm telling you, it's fraught with peril. Please be very cautious. Get some, I don't know if you get some guarantees, because I'm telling you, once you get that card, it's almost impossible to get out of it. And that's why you'll keep... You'll, you'll keep paying your taxes because you're obligated to do so. You'll keep paying your Social Security taxes because you signed a contract, a that contract, spelled out how you're going to pay for this benefit. It's half payable by you, half payable by your uh, employer, I think. And he obligates himself by accepting you as an as a employee under the contract that he's got with the Social Security. So you're, I won't say you're stuck, but I'll say from now on, learn how not to get involved. If you've got children who are not do not have a social security card, don't get one for them.
0: So this social, social security. security it it's almost it's it's almost like a mark of the beast in a way.
1: Well, I'll tell you that here in Arizona we've got a mark of the beast. We, we don't call it that, but I'll tell you what, what they do call it. I, I went to a gun show uh and saw my books and um and dvds and i have a little table as you do and there's they had a sign behind me and i'm smiling talking everybody went by and so i, I uh, uh, that name that i had ralph epperson got into the, the list and the the state income tax people went to the man in charge said, we want a list of all your your uh, people that were there and i guess he gave it to them so ralph epperson's on a list now and having a, a, a business to selling books So I got a letter from the State Revenue Department saying, Dear Mr. Epperson, uh, we haven't found your name on a list of um, uh, 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 booksellers or whatever it was, the gun sellers at the gun show, and we are going to ask you the following questions. Number one, are you in business? Number two, do you have any employees? And number three, do you have a state transaction privilege license? Huh? I don't have any employees. I'm not legally in business because there's a legal definition of business. I don't qualify for that. So I wrote back to her and I said, listen, I don't, I don't. first of all, the letter was not signed and the letter had no citation of a law. So I wrote back, please identify the statute of law that you believe gives you the power to ask me these questions. And then secondly, I want a signature. I want to know who I'm dealing with. This is a pre-printed, you know, letter, just typed in with my name, et cetera, But I don't know who this person is. It could be a janitor. So I said, so I wrote the letter. Uh, Divers Jefferson, we didn't get your signed letter. I said, oh, yes, you did. I had a copy of the envelope and the date stamp on it, a photocopy, but I sent it in. So the second letter I wrote back and said, you're wrong, and here's how I know you're wrong. I mean, I know, here's the evidence that I did send it, but I'm going to ask you to sign for the second letter. So I got a little greeting card back. Yes, we received your second letter. And I got a third letter from them saying, we didn't receive the first two. I said, yes, you did. So I wrote back and said, to the director of the uh, administration, I said, someone in your office is sending out these unsigned letters citing no law. And I'm telling, I've i got three of them now, and you've also said that I didn't send it in. But here's a photocopy of the green form that says you did get the form. And I'm going to tell you this, Mr. Administrator, please stop this because I will sue you for harassing me. State Transaction Privilege License. It's a license granting you the privilege of conducting business in the state of Arizona. That's called a mark of a beast because without it, you can't transact business in the state of Arizona. The State Transaction Privilege License. A privilege is granted to you by the government, and they can take it away. That's why they want you to get a license. By the way, going back to the people who bake the cake, the reason the city council or it is can sue them is because they have a license to be in the baking business. And once you're in the license, they can regulate your business. That's the purpose of it. Do you understand? We get licenses. By the way, I just confirmed for the first time, Arizona had no driver's license requirement. So I used to get it because I learned under the Uniform Commercial Code, which is now the law of the land, I learned that you can get back to the Constitution. So I got the driver's license, which is the form of identification. I signed it, but without prejudice. That's another issue. We won't get into that. But anyway, so I said there is no law, but in any way I'm still protecting my rights under the common law. So now I go into the lady to get my license for you a couple of, about two years ago. By the way, we're running out of time here. I better make this oily go- Anyway, anyway uh, the, 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 I got a, life, a statute that says... Uh, person in arizona has to have a license a person so they know now that we're all persons like the lady at the uh the uh, jury call i think we ran out of time it's two hours later but they, I,
0: but they twist and turn they twist and turn around words sort of like um like if you if you're before a judge and you you tell a judge yet you know you told that 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 judge in the black robe I understand, they look at it as, I stand under you.
1: That's correct. Right? Well, we're getting beyond the issue because, once again, this takes time to explain and get people, please don't start doing this without knowledge. You've got to find out what your status is and find out, confirm that I'm right, and then you can decide. But please understand this. This is a side issue. Once we save this nation, we can correct it. But we're going to waste our time trying to correct it. And secondly, when you do it, most people say, well, I got out. Therefore, I go back to watching the the boob tube. Please help us save a nation. ralph ebersoncom Good information. The America's Secret Destiny DVD covers this in more detail. And you can watch it on the Internet for free. America's Secret Destiny. Yes, sir.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining me today, Mr. Epperson.
1: Well, it's my pleasure, Thomas. Thank you for inviting me. Anytime.
0: All right. Okay, I'll let you go. And that was Mr. Ralph Epperson. And his website is www.ralph-epperson.com. And that's going to end this broadcast.